7.05. Get ready, boys. It's time for Ira on Sports. 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean here as well. And if, if there isn't so much going on in the world of sports at this moment, the NFL is in full swing. We're starting to separate the pretenders from the contenders. NCAA is as good as it's ever been. The Ryder Cup... Not so good if you're a fan of the Americans. We'll talk about that uh, coming up. Baseball playoffs start in just two days. And Conor McGregor getting back in the ring. There's so much to talk about tonight on Ira on Sports. Ira, uh, before we get to where have you been, we got a very special guest coming on uh, right about 7.15. His name is Neil Rudell. He's the managing editor of the Altoona Mirror. Uh, does a, a whole bunch of work for Penn State. Good friend of yours. And uh, he should be an interesting guest, right, eh? covered Penn State football for 41 years. I don't think there's anyone who has seen more Penn State games, interviewed more coaches, players. Uh, there is He is the total expert on Penn State. And, of course, that Penn State-Ohio State game, one of the classics, Two now two years in a row, Penn State loses to Ohio State by a, a point. Um, just an amazing series of games and just a, a great game. We'll, we'll talk about that game in just a minute. But first, where have you been? I know you were there and pretty much everywhere. Well, I got four football games this week. So I was at the Steeler Buccaneer game on Monday night, the Steeler game on Sunday night, Steelers Ravens. And on Thursday, I saw UNC Miami and then Saturday, Penn State, Ohio State. So two college football games, two pro football games. I don't think you could see more football in one week. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's physically not possible. You'd have to clone yourself. Um, let's talk, you, you were at the Miami game, so let's bring that in. Is Miami getting back on track here, Ira? What do you think? They, they beat the pants off UNC. Not that that's really saying much. These are the teams you're supposed to beat, but they did uh, win handily. They won handily the score 47-10, to 10, but when 18 of those points or 21 of the points are pick sixes or, or fumbles for touchdowns, they didn't really dominate UNC. They just UNC was very careless with the ball, and every time they f- feel like they were going to get back in the game, they would just do another pick six. So, yes, <laughs> Miami is the turnover chain. They have their opportunistic, and that's great. But if they expect other teams just to turn the ball over. And another thing, when UNC made these yeah. pick sixes, they didn't even try. Like, they let you, <laughs> Miami just score the touchdown. Now, if you were playing fantasy and you had the Miami Hurricane defense, I mean, I that, played against them this week. They had 38 <laughs> points for a defense. Right. And probably all time, you know, amazing. But in the end, I don't know what this Miami team is. I mean, they made the quarterback change, but Perry was eight for 12 for 125 yards. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, uh, for the game. UNC had 24 first downs to only 14 for uh, Miami and the yardage where it was even. So mm-hmm. if you just look at the statistics, you're like, how in the world do they lose 47 to 10 next week? We're going to see Miami plays Florida state at home. Yeah. Florida state will be definitely a much, better test than UNC will and it would have been a more, it would have been a more exciting game if UNC would have I said not turned the ball over so many times isn't that the, what they're predicated though on Ira is the you know they're they want to play defense in Miami and they you know they've had the shaky quarterback play since Brad Kaya left and not even that he was like a superstar but at least he was good enough to keep the ball on their side of the uh, you know the hash marks I never thought of them as being an offensive powerhouse, but and I like to see that they, you know, the turnover chain, while as tacky as it is, it seems like that's what this team's based around. They want to put you in bad situations defensively, and they want to force you to make mistakes, I. UNC still got 330 yards against yeah. them, so they were still moving the ball. They were getting the turnovers, and that's great, but if they're going to give up 450 yards to Florida State, they're going to lose if Florida State doesn't. I'm sure that everyone says when you play Miami, they're, they're opportunistic. They know how to strip the ball. Yeah. They, they're, they're quarterbacks and safeties, know how to read quarterbacks' eyes, but so, but if you're relying every week on eight, 21 points <laughs> on turnovers, you're going to lose some games. Yeah. No, of course. Sean, what do you think? I know you're, you've been kind of a critic of Miami. Um, you think they're getting back on track with this win, or is it like Ira said, maybe just more smoke and mirrors. Well, I think it is. I mean, if you look at them, I mean, they got pretty much handled by LSU. Then they, you know, 
destroyed Savannah State, Toledo. I mean, they haven't really played anybody. Right? And even though UNC is, uh, you know, a name, it's not like Mitchell Trubisky's playing quarterback and they're not playing the basketball team. So um, <laughs> I, I don't think Florida State is a good barometer. I'm looking more towards the Virginia game the week after our, uh, on October 13th, only because that offense can score. Quarterback plays well. Running back's really good there. Then you have Boston College. Uh, the, the young uh, running back is named for, it slips in my mind right now, but I mean, he's a first-round talent at Boston College. So even though those teams aren't ranked, I think that's where you're going to see what this Miami team's really made of. The Virginia, the Boston College game, even Georgia Tech, because they run that, uh, you know, that 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 uh, triple option mm-hmm. offense. Um, and then you have Virginia Tech coming to, coming to town. And I think Virginia Tech, uh, you know, right now for the ACC is, is, is probably the best team that's in there outside of Clemson. Um, so I think right now ranked at 17, I, I just don't think Miami's that good. They are getting back to basics with that defense because that's what they are and have been. They're not getting the offensive talent like it's the early 2000s. Um, so it was good to see them get back on board. I don't know if this quarterback change is gonna is really going to do that much, but let the kid, he got some game time. Hopefully he gets a start next week, and then we can see uh, what happens against Florida State. How do you say his name? Nicosa Perry? Is that, is that the, the new quarter? I'm, I'm between Ro- Malik Rozier, Nicosa Perry. I'm very confused <laughs> going back and forth between these two. Um, do you want to move on to Penn State or you want to save that until – yeah, let, let's talk about Penn State for a second. Um, this game had all the playoff implications <laughs> in the world, Ira. I mean, basically, we're looking at it like whoever wins this game is pretty much a lock for the playoff, as long as they don't lose, you know, any ridiculous games on the way out. Penn State lost by a point. I, you were there. Uh, Tell us about it. Well, I think uh, the atmosphere, the whiteout, as you see it on TV, awesome. being there, it's extremely loud. Fans are going crazy. Uh, it's, uh, the, I mean, it's great because you have 110,000. I set the all-time attendance record at Penn State. is 110,892 or whatever. Uh, they had the game day earlier before. Everyone was pumped. And what's great is that you go to these football, college football games, sometimes the, the students trickle in. Everybody was there. An hour before the game, you had about 100,000 people in the stadium. Mm-hmm. So people were watching the warm-ups, getting excited. Uh, it was, but how the game started. Yeah. I mean, who would have thought that in the and by the end of the se- middle of the second quarter, Ohio State had three first downs and fifty total yards, mm-hmm. two of the most offensive powerhouses in football, and it's six nothing Penn State. <laughs> My comment is always: I was looking at that and saying, Penn State needed to be up more. Penn State had the opportunities; they yeah. were dominating the game. They needed to be up 21, 24 nothing, and they could have. They got the ball back; it was six nothing, and then was it was the, it, then they went up uh, thirteen nothing on the, on uh, on a. Uh, Short uh, pass to KJ Hamler. It was the longest pass in Penn State history, ninety-three yards. And really? then they're up thirteen. Awesome. They're up thirteen, nothing, and they have the ball back. And I'm like, they're going to score, go up twenty, nothing or sixty, nothing. And Miles Sanders fumbles the ball. And again, just talk about opportunistic. Yeah. Ohio State then cuts the lead to thirteen-seven. And then they come and get the ball the first t- the first time in the second half and go up 14-13 and score a touchdown. And then you're thinking, okay, Ohio State's going to run away with the game, but no, Penn State hangs in there and goes up twenty-six fourteen mm. and is able to get those two touchdowns. And then all the questions about Penn State we're going to ask Neil about this but uh, there was a two point conversion that they went to when they went to early always mm-hmm. that question do you go for a two point conversion when they were down 14-13 they had a chance to kick a field goal I'm not so critical on like the 40 yard field goal but and they went on fourth down and didn't get it and then of course the final play call at the end of the game was the whole thing but the key thing is that Penn State now this is now the third big game the Rose Bowl two years ago Ohio State last year where they've had double digit leads with a few minutes to go in the game and have blown these games and it was Ohio State had a drive, uh, the, the final drive, they, they, they make it. Um, ben Victor had this, it was one of the best pack catches. It was right in front of me. He grabbed the ball, 
you hanged out, then it, it was almost like from the longest yards, then avoided five <laughs> tackles. That was terrible tackling on Penn State's <laughs> part. But that was a, the three plays, 97 yards in a minute 18. Then they get the ball back, and they go up a touchdown by eight plays, 96 yards. They went a 97-yard dive and a 96-yard drive in a minute 18 and two minutes, 32 seconds. And they take the lead. And, of course, then Penn State gets the ball back with two minutes to go and three timeouts. And this is what Penn State does. They're going to come down just needing a field goal to win the game. Yeah. I almost thought they're going to kick a field goal. Ohio State's going to have a last ticket. It's still going to go back and forth. And on the first play, 27 yards, they go to Ohio State 48. So now it's like a minute and 50, and they're on the 48-yard line of Ohio State. I'm like, oh, don't score so fast. That's what I was like saying. Milk this. Then Ohio State just gets that. Get, they, they blitz him, get a sack on Chase Young, sacks yeah. McSorley. Then McSorley. Then they throw Penn State's weird. Penn State tries this long pass to Polk, who's uh, who hadn't really been targeted all game, yeah. and it was over his head. And then, it was, uh, then he ran. Then on a third and 14, McSorley ran nine yards, and that's where the play that people are going to be talking about forever, because they're all talking about this is that they and it was like an NBA at the end of the game Penn State called a timeout Ohio State called a timeout Penn State called a timeout and you can <laughs> see them just changing and, and how they're going to do in their defenses it's interesting to note that Greg Schiano the defensive coordinator of uh, of um, defense coordinator of Ohio State and their defensive line coach Larry Johnson were both assistants at Penn State yeah, long time really? assistants so and Larry Johnson's son Larry Johnson of course remember was a great running back at Penn State mm-hmm. so actually Penn State got doomed by their own assistants the former assistants but um, funny how that works out and then and, and then the play they came up with after it seemed like 10 minutes of back and forth was to hand the ball on a sweep sort of to Ugh. Miles Sanders and it was totally red and Ohio State said we knew exactly the play they were going to run <laughs> and we stopped it so we're a loss and then the game's over because no timeouts first of all if they would have kept their timeouts they would have might have been able to stop because there's still like a minute and a half to go but they yeah. had blown all their timeouts so they had no, no timeouts left Sean what did you think about this extremely controversial uh, play calls down the stretch I mean I thought it was awful and then if you listen to Franklin's uh, uh, his press conference afterwards it's like he kind of dodged all questions about it and kind of went on a long rant and at that point you got to say accept ownership you're running inside handoff sweep to your running back who by the way i was having a terrible game i think he was averaging like two yards a carry you know and you're taking it out of your quarterback's hands who by the way got you to this point i mean he he, he had 486 yards in this game and you, you don't you don't give it to your potential heisman trophy winner uh, and at least have him go try to win mm-hmm. the game you know and I, I just thought it was really sad i think you know penn state uh you know i, I don't want to say their their chances are crushed i think there's a couple ways they could get into the playoffs I, we talked about this team earlier in the year and i told you i said i think they have a chance of making the playoff and knocking off ohio state i think they should have i think this division now is going to come down to if penn state can beat michigan and michigan can beat ohio state i think because of the way this game ended the voters will actually vote in penn state over ohio state simply for the fact that it was a bad call and and, and that's penn state's way of getting in still so Speaking of uh, Penn State, it's time to bring in Neil Rudell. This is Iron Sports 95.9 True Oldies Channel. He's the managing editor of the Altoona Mirror, longtime Penn State University reporter. Um, Neil, thank you so much for joining us here on Iron Sports. Hey, Ira, how are you? We are doing good. Um, before I turn you over to Ira, Neil, you've known Ira for a little while. Um, is it is it amazing that he went to four football games in, in one week? I don't think anybody gets around like this guy. He only went to four? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I congratulate him. Real proud of Ira and what he's doing uh, with the show. And, uh, you know, he writes uh, some guest columns for our paper here at the Outs in the Mirror. And, you know, we, we tag him as a traveling sports fan. And I know he loves what he does. He's so positive. And, hey, Ira, we always know with Ira we'll get to see him at the game. 
<laughs> well, Neil, thanks a lot for coming on. Uh, I guess the question everybody wants to know is the play call at the end of the game. I, I, I think you talked about. I read, I read your uh, your columns and your and certainly your writings. What happened? Was there confusion? Do you think there's confusion on the Penn State sideline? Is that the play they wanted to run? What is now? It's been two days after the game. What's now the thought that's coming out of Penn State, and, and what made that call? I think it was the same call that they that they started out with um, with their first time out. Now I'll tell you, I mean, because the game was so late, uh, it's very difficult <clears throat> on the print media. So I was not able to get down there face to face. I heard James Franklin piped in. He said, obviously, they didn't call the right play. I mean, they called what they called, but it was not the call that they should have made. Um, I'm not saying that they ran the wrong play. I mean, they ran what they called. <clears throat> so, um, you know, everybody's uh, very upset about it. You can't understand why you take your Heisman Trophy winner really out of that play. He had had an incredible game. I mean, one of the most courageous performances against a, a big-time team that I've ever seen. I mean, Ira, you were at the game. I mean, you're talking about a guy that carried 25 times for 175 yards as the quarterback through 32 times, and there were a few times when they got in the red zone where he took off on a quarterback keeper and trucked safeties for Ohio State, just bowled him over, went from the 20 to the inside the 5. I mean, it was he was willing that team to victory. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what in terms of now? This is the third game in three years that Penn State's defense has. Penn State's had double digit leads, and at the end of the game, has blown leads. The USC game, the USC game, uh, the Ohio State game last year, and this game, and 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 the final two drives that Ohio State had was a minute and eighteen seconds and two minutes and thirty two seconds. In terms of the Penn State defense, it's like they asked Franklin, he goes, yeah, I thought the defense played great most of the game. But what is it in these fourth quarters that Penn State is unable to hold these leads? Yeah, I think, they, they first of all, they lack a great player on defense. Um, and when you look at it, they really lack a leader also, somebody that could pull everybody together. And, and you know they're not reacting well to the screen passes. Ohio State's been running screen passes on them since they got into the Big Ten, um, you know, across multiple coaching staffs at both schools. Uh, Penn State just doesn't react. I think uh, Ohio State has tremendous athletes in space. Penn State tackling was very poor in the secondary, and it just turned out to be just a hugely disappointing night. Everything had been built for that game, the whole whiteout um, at night, and this was their opportunity, so I, I think it's very much a long shot for them to make the playoff. Um, two, the two other calls. There's a question going on fourth down and not making it. I, I, I don't. It was a long field goal. I'm not. I'd, I, I wasn't upset about Penn State going for the fourth down one, but they're going for the two point conversion so early, so early in the game, really, instead of just kicking the extra point at that time. What's your opinion on those two calls? Okay. Uh, no, James Franklin addressed that afterwards, and, and I could not disagree with this. He felt like they needed touchdowns to beat Ohio State and not field goals. And that, that proved last year, Ira, if you remember, they got a little conservative down in the red zone last year in Columbus and had to settle for a field goal uh, instead of a touchdown. Um, so I think he felt, plus he's a freshman kicker, um, you know, who had already missed. So, you know, he, that was uh, the explanation on that. 
the two-point conversion, uh, even if they would have kicked that point, then Ohio State would have turned around and kicked their point, and I, I don't think it would have made a difference. I agree. I agree. I think I think the last play calls is the is probably the most contention. The other ones, I think that he made the right call. Um, KJ Hamler, the freshman or redshirt freshman wide receiver for Penn State, making the ninety three yard uh, slant pass. And what was exciting about that that run is that Ohio State has elite defenders, and they could not catch him. He ran through the entire Ohio State defense. It just shows you. I, I mean, I think he's the fastest Penn State player I've ever seen. But then he got in the fourth quarter on the targeting call. He got knocked out of the game. I mean, if he was into the game at the end of the, you know, at the, for the final plays, maybe it's different if he stayed in the game and that wasn't knocked yeah, out. Yeah, their receiving core, I mean, they lost Deshaun Hamilton, who was their all time leading scorer, who's with the Denver Broncos now. Uh, they lost Saeed Blacknall, who also uh, was, was not a guy that really they got a lot out of last year, but he was tremendous. Um, the previous year uh, at the Big Ten Championship game, he was like the MVP at 150 yards and he's a big play guy. Um, he had made some some key touchdowns and plus Jasicki. So their passing game is really missing some real key targets and these guys have really not responded. Uh, Jawan Johnson, he may be the highest draft pick on that team right now, um, but he has not come through. I mean, he had no Del Beckham catch of the year in the first half. He catches better with one hand than he does with two. <laughs> I mean, he's line. dropped a half a dozen balls. Uh, he's really been uh, very much a mystery uh, and probably the biggest disappointment. I don't want to you know, be too negative on the kid, but, I mean, he's just really been a disappointment. They were counting on him to be the guy, and they really involved him early in the Illinois game, they said, hey, we have to establish this guy, and they did, and they went to him early in the Illinois game, and I thought there was going to be a carryover to Ohio State. I mean, he still caught five balls, but he was he dropped three, and he had a shot at one in the end zone that he didn't come up with. DeAndre Tompkins is another kid who's been a pretty good receiver there that Hamler has, has beaten out, and they have some other young freshmen that I think they're going to start taking a look at now on the open date. Um, I one of the in the press conference afterwards, James Franklin stated, "He goes, we are. I've worked very hard, and it's been hard to get from good to great. He goes, we are a great team. This is a great football team. But he goes, we are not elite. Ohio State is elite, and it's going to be much harder for us to become great to elite than it was going from good to great. And he goes, I'm prepared to make the steps, and I'm now. And he talked about kids going to class, taking notes at meetings, and listing a lot of other things." In terms of your feeling on that, in terms of what, what do you think Penn State needs to, what steps does Penn State need to take to go from great to elite? Well, I think we throw the word great around. Um, you know, to me, the great, pro, the great teams they've had have been the championship teams. Um, what is elite? I mean, when you look at elite around the country, you're really talking about Alabama, uh, maybe Georgia right now, uh, and probably Ohio State. Uh, Clemson, okay. I mean, they've played for the title. Uh, they've been in the college football playoff, but they've also lost to Syracuse last year, and they almost did it again. They lost to Pitt. Um, so, you know, when, you, when you're setting yourself up as – I like the fact that he is aiming high and he's not shying away from that. Um, he is a, a coach who is very passionate, coaches with a lot of emotion, you know, more concerned with the, you know, the crowd at times than the play calls. Um, 
So, you know, I just think that, uh, you know, probably a few more player makers and finding a way to win. They need to learn how to win these tough games. And then one of the final questions. Probably be- need a, just a monster defensive, their defensive recruiting also, Ira. I'm not sure they really have that guy up front that, that creates the double team and, and strikes fear in the, uh, the opponent. Well, I mean, he's bringing in five-star recruits. I mean, these recruits are much better than uh, under Joe Paterno. They're getting three stars and maybe a four-star, but now they are getting these five-star recruits, the Micah Parsons in, and it just seems like they're getting there. They're getting these recruits, but these great recruits are not making these big plays in these big games. And just because you have a five-star in your name doesn't mean you're going to be a five-star player. And I think that's... I mean, maybe they don't have enough five-stars. I mean, Alabama brings in all the five-stars and they compete for the positions, and we don't see the five-star guys that didn't play so well. Um, I guess well, that- Parsons, I mean, it's really a big jump from, from high school to the, uh, you know, the great uh, <laughs> or the very good college programs. I mean, uh, they've been trying to get uh, Parsons snaps. At times he's looked okay, but other times a little tentative. Uh, you know, he ran past a play the other day that was, uh, you know, contributed to Ohio State touchdown, him and the rest of the defense. Uh, I think he will be good eventually. Obviously, they gave him number 11. So they have, uh, uh, you got to be pretty special to have that number up there. But uh, I think that's part of the growing pains on defense. They just don't, really aren't sure who the best players are. Well, Neil, once again, thanks for coming on. But my final question would be, is this going to be like last year where they lose to Ohio State and then they lose to Michigan State? Do you see this team now? It's lucky they have this bye week. They're able now to recover. And, and re- Do you see them running the table? They have Wisconsin, Michigan, those teams, Iowa. Uh, or do you see do you see maybe this is their uh, you know, carryover effect of the loss and maybe another loss or, or two the rest of the season? Well, you, you don't want to let a team beat you twice. Uh, the open date is good. Um, the Michigan State game was kind of fluky last year. If you remember the three-hour rain delay, um, and it really affected the visiting team more than the home team in that case. But everybody, most people saw two losses for this team, Ira. Um, and one almost came in the opener. So I think there's probably another loss out there. Oh, you know, whether it's Michigan State or whether it's Iowa, which always seems to give them a tough game at Michigan. Harbaugh eventually has to win a big game. This would be one of those. Wisconsin's coming in. They're very physical. Um, you know, I don't think that there, you know, there's a few landmines left, uh, so I'm not automatically penciling them in to be able to run the table. Neil, um, you have a, a, a TV show called Nitwits, and also you have a blog. How are the listeners able to get a hold of that if they're Penn State fans or just college oh, just football fans? Just go to com. You can click on the Nitwits. Uh, we have a lot of fun. We've been doing it about 20 years. Uh, Mark Brennan from Lions 24-7 and Fight on State and I. Uh, teamed up a number of years ago, and we also have a host from uh, the local TV uh, station, and we bring in a former player uh, every week. Different one this week, it was Bill Kantz, who was on the 82 National Championship team, Justin Kirpakis, uh Jonas Stassi, Mike Irwin, who was Joe's first captain, um, Wally Richardson. We've had a, a pretty good cast of uh, different guys, and they give us a player's perspective. We have a lot of fun with it. And, of course, up here, everybody kind of eats up the topic. Neil Rudell, he's the managing editor of the Altoona Mirror and your Penn State University reporter. Got over 40 years taking care of this. Neil, I want to thank you so much for popping by Iron Sports. Thank you, guys. Have a good show. See you, Ira. 
729. This is the True Oldies channel. Mike and Sean are here as well. Um, still plenty to come. Ryder Cup action. NFL uh, to talk about. Conor McGregor is stepping back in the octagon. We'll discuss that briefly. But let's go back um, to, to college just for a little bit here, guys. As uh, Neil gave us some great material. So, Ira, what do you think? Penn State's chances of making the playoffs after this loss completely gone. I mean, Neil seems to think maybe that there's a chance, but I don't know. Um pretty much completely gone. It's hard to imagine how Penn State, they would need Ohio State to lose twice to play in the championship game. Um, they have a great schedule the rest of the way, but you don't know. Teams, college football is crazy. Yeah. There's things that happen, so that's why I love watching it every week. And, and then you can see like last week, this week, the next game we're talking about is Clemson-Syracuse. Out of nowhere, Syracuse comes and almost beats Clemson in Clemson. Mm-hmm. So. Sean, uh, before we move on to that game, you, 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 uh, you think Penn State does maybe have a shot to make it back to the well, playoffs? It's like Ira br- brings it up. I mean, it's, it's college football, and this team has shown that it can be and play with arguably one of the best teams that's that, that's been in college football for the past you know five seven years. Um, I, I I think from a talent standpoint. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, they can really do special things because, like I said at the beginning of the year, I think Trace McSorley is the best college football player in the nation. I, I think he, he showed that against Iowa State, and that's what made this loss so devastating because you took the ball out of his hands to end that game. Uh, but if, if you know anything about that kid, his toughness, his drive, he's going to take that as extra motivation. So if, if, if Ohio State loses to Michigan and Penn State beats Michigan and runs the table, which I think they can do. I don't think Wisconsin's that good. I think Iowa's taking a little bit of a, a step back. I think there's a chance. It's a very small chance, but I think there is a chance because I think the voters, when they look at that game, they'll chalk that up more as a loss to a bad call as opposed to, you know, and it, it depends on what they do against Michigan and what Michigan does against Ohio State, but I do think they have a, a small chance. We uh, we do have a final in uh, the NL West in that playoff game, uh, in the playing game. The Dodgers are going to beat the Rockies 5-2. to two. Uh, Rockies actually put up two runs here in the bottom of the ninth, but just didn't have enough gas, so the, uh, the uh, LA Dodgers are your 2018 NL West champs. Um, Clemson, like you said, Ira, and Neil brought it up too. Clemson's a team that I did consider elite. But, uh, you know, when you have ga- games like this against Syracuse and you edge them out 27 to 23, that doesn't look so good for your resume, I. I don't think Clemson has looked. I mean, their defense was supposed to be. Uh, they had three defensive linemen that were going to go in the first round of the NFL draft, and um, they still might. But there's, they have a lot of. Pro- their defense is not as great as it would be, and they made a decision quarterback to go with the freshman Trevor Lawrence over Kelly Bryant. Kelly Bryant says, "I'm transferring," mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Trevor Lawrence proceeds to get injured during the game. So that was the <laughs> the worst nightmare. And then there's oh, a question: man. Will they take Kelly Bryant back? How long will Cle- Trevor Lawrence be out? I mean, they were lucky. Etan. In the running back had 100, 100 to 203 yards rushing. Mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. But they were down to Syracuse. I mean, they were down 23 to 13 to Syracuse with 13 minutes to go. Crazy. And Syracuse came and they came back and won 27 23 with a backup quarterback and yeah. mostly just running. So it's a. It's Clemson. That was a win they had to have, and but the ACC almost Clemson. You're almost thinking they could have a loss and still win the ACC and still play for the get in the playoffs. No, that that does make sense, Sean. You were pretty high on Clemson coming into this year, weren't you? Yeah, and I think it was more because it's a down year for that you know division. I think you know Florida State is not that good. Um, I think uh, you know Louisville is not what they are. Wake Forest is a disaster. Miami's not that good. Uh, you have Virginia Tech. I would say is probably the second best team yeah, probably in that division. 
division. I know NC State, uh, but I don't think they've really played anybody to date. And Ira brought up a good point. I mean, you're talking about three, potentially four D linemen going in the first round of the NFL draft. I mean, so you've you've had a team that's been there. Even though uh, Kelly Bryant got benched, I mean, he was a guy that, that brought him to the playoff uh, uh, last year. And I do think it was the right move going to Trevor Lawrence. I mean, when you get to watch him play, I mean, he especially went down with the concussion. Reports are that he will – practice I think by Wednesday they were saying so he's, he's passing all the the concussion protocol and they're talking about bringing Kelly Bryant back but I mean I think they're the cream of the crop in that division but it is a down division I, I don't think they are what they used to be um let's talk about probably the matchup of the weekend but the result wasn't as close as it should have been the number seven Notre Dame it just beat up on number eight uh, Stanford 38 to 17 Ira this Notre Dame team's looking pretty good well, that's going to be a problem for all these other teams. There's yeah. there's four teams in a playoff. There's five major conferences. They really, as UCF showed last year, they're not going to take a team that's yeah. not in a Power Five conference. I don't care how good they are. They have to unless you play and beat all these Power Five teams and you beat UC- them in the regular season. Right, UCF <laughs> beat Pitt this year, and uh, they still are not going to get enough credit. They'll get in one of the bowls, whatever. But. Um, Notre Dame, if they run the table undefeated, they're going to be in it, and that's yeah. going to take another position that would have gone to one of the power, one of the conference power fives. Yeah. And uh, the change of quarterback worked. I mean, they 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 got rid, they brought in Winhurst, they replaced Winhurst with Book, who had 278 yards, four touchdowns. Running back Williams ran for 161 yards, and their defense plays great. I mean, Bryce Love, Bryce Love going into the season was the favorite to win the Heisman Trophy, yeah. and they shut him down. 73 yeah. yards. He's had a really bad year. I mean, he's had a bad year. Yeah, he's had 2,000 and a, 2,100 yards. Last year, twenty one hundred yards last year. This year, only three hundred twenty. I was going to say, I don't even think he's cracked five hundred. <laughs> so, but uh, just a huge, a huge win for Notre Dame. Seven thirty four. Iron Sports ninety five nine. True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean here as well discussing Notre Dame beating the pants off number eight Stanford Cardinal thirty eight to seventeen. Sean, I think you're in the camp that thinks Notre Dame could win it all, or at least you know, force their way into the playoff with the way their schedule works out. Yeah, and you're looking at, you know, the 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 call by Brian Kelly from going from, you know, Brandon Wimbush, who is a speedster, and Ken Ron to Ian Book, who is the absolute real deal. I mean, great, great choice, great change at the quarterback position. I think this might be Brian Kelly's most talented team ever. I mean, when you look at the weapons that they have from the receivers and the running game, the defense is playing phenomenal. And if they beat Virginia Tech, you know, this week, they have a real sh- shot to run the table. I mean, if you look at the teams they got left, Pitt, Navy, Northwestern, who just lost their All-American running back, Larkin, uh, due to a spinal injury, he's retired from football. Florida State's not good. Syracuse could give them a little bit of trouble. And then USC to close the year, which... Freshman quarterback, freshman playmakers, very, very young team. If they can get past Virginia Tech, who does score a ton of points, I think they have a realistic shot at running the table and will have to be forced into that playoff. They will be one of the playoff teams. I'm hoping to see it because we always have a soft spot for Notre Dame. Um, Ira, before we move on to golf, a couple of big games you're looking forward to next weekend. Um LSU at Florida. I think it's going to be a great game in terms of this week. Florida played Mississippi State, um, and uh, it was interesting as Dan Mullen was the coach at Mississippi State, mm-hmm. moved to Florida, and Mississippi was actually rated. Florida wasn't, but it, whatever. But Florida won 13-6. It was, a, it, it was a good win for Florida. Now it'll be interesting to see LSU at Florida, mm-hmm. and that's it, a great game. And you have two amazing games because you have the Miami-Florida State game in Miami, and you have the LSU at Florida mm-hmm. in Gainesville, and then Auburn at Mississippi State, which is another good SEC game and uh, you know this week it's weird we're not talking about Alabama we're not talking about Georgia Mm -hmm. Alabama won 56-14 over Louisiana Tech Georgia won 38-12 over Tennessee I've watched all these teams I watched Ohio State up close 
from watching Alabama and Georgia on TV, these teams are so far, they are way, way ahead of the other teams. And Alabama is in another stratosphere. <laughs> I saw a, I saw something that stated that if Al, the bookie said that if Alabama played Notre Dame right now, 17-point favorite. And Notre 17. Dame is ranked sixth in the country. I think Alabama, and people probably bet Alabama. They are, this could be, I've said this last week, I'm saying it again and again and again, this is the best college football team I've ever seen. And they, they are just steamrolling people. So, you know, it, it goes without saying that, yeah, this might be uh, Nick Saban's best bunch yet, and they're definitely having their eyes on another national uh, another national championship. Um, let's move on to golf, guys. Um, we on this show, Ira, Sean, myself, and pretty much every single member of the media was going into this Ryder Cup like, Team USA can't lose. These guys are awesome, and they're all playing well. There's no chance they could lose. Ira, they got their butts kicked. The Europeans just dismantled the American Ryder Cup team. You think this is the biggest disappointment for American golf fans ever? Yes. I, I, I was thinking about that. It's a great question because I was thinking, I'm like, it has to be. Because these golfers, it wasn't like these Americans. It wasn't like Tiger, Phil, and some other old timers. These are the best young Americans. You had Kepka, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, and they're also playing great golf. Mm -hmm. And who did the Europeans bring out? Ian Poulter, who was two years ago ranked 200 in the world, they bring Sergio Garcia, who hasn't made a cut in a major all year. Wow. They had so I mean, they did not have the team that the Americans had. And you're expecting, okay, well, maybe they'll win. They're used to the four ball and the alternate shot, but it wasn't even close. It was a disaster. And the end, the, the, the Americans conceded. You actually concede in this. When Phil Mickelson hits a ball in the water, he doesn't even finish the hole out. He just says, give up. And that was the, that's how they won the Ryder Cup, by Phil Mickelson hitting the ball in the water, just giving up. It's crazy. Um, Sean, you may be able to comment on that too. Tiger and Phil both just look dejected. I don't know if they're tired, if it's the schedule or what, but Phil didn't look like he even wanted to be there. Yeah. Well, I feel like Phil's looked that way for the past year or so. So yeah. uh, I think I think it could have caught up to Tiger for the amount of golf that he's played in the past years obviously a lot larger um, sample size of than what he's done in the, in, the, in the previous years but I just think this comes down to how we talked up there's no way Team USA can lose there had to be a chip so big on the European players' shoulders, you know, uh, going mm -hmm. into this that it was like they were told months ago that they were going to get they were going to get destroyed. USA is going to win this, you know, and and the way that this is set up and the match play and you know how competitive these guys get and they could really show emotion unlike they do in other tournaments. I think it was just you know uh, an explosion of all of that you know built up frustrations of hearing that you know these guys are playing so great and you guys on tour have played so poorly. That they finally got to just come out and and silence everybody. You saw it from Rory on the one putt. I can't putt. I can't putt. You know, you saw that. I mean, you see that emotion from these guys <laughs> that they wanted this so tournaments. much more. Where USA may kind of seem like they were just going to go and oh, well, we're playing such great golf. We might we might dominate this. So um, definitely a shock. But when you kind of take a step back, I, I think Team Europe, you know, just had that chip on their shoulder and they went out and played that way. Ira, do you want to break down uh, just exactly how this thing went wrong? <laughs> Friday morning, I, I didn't so I'd get up at two in the morning when we. Were thing about the tournament it was early 2 30 in the, in the morning, <laughs> two in the morning. <laughs> so we're at us is up three one it's called four balls where they actually play their best ball whoever on the hole you're playing your shot and so us is up three one tiger and reed they're the only ones who lost yeah. was fleetwood and molinari 
destroyed. They Molinari finished destroyed. five and zero. Oh, first time it's I think ever in the way that this is for Europe a guy has ever gone five and zero. Oh. But Thomas and Spieth, who played together the four times, they won. Johnson and Fowler won, and Fino and Kepka won. So you're like, okay, that's what's supposed to be. But then in the afternoon, when they do the alternate shot, and this is where you saw I think the teamwork not working, where you're not hitting your ball, you're hitting mm-hmm. someone else hits the ball, then you hit the ball. The U.S. lost 0-4. Now, the Americans won in the morning 3-1, but they were close matches. In the afternoon, some of these, I mean, Mickelson and Deshaun Blow were down seven holes after <laughs> like eight. Molinari and Fleetwood beat Spieth and Thomas five with four holes to go. McElroy Poulter beat Watson and Simpson. It wasn't even close, and it was one of the first times they've ever been swept. And you can see, but the question is, that this is where they're getting, America's getting attacked with Fjord, is like, your pairings were wrong. You wouldn't put the right people together. You're playing. It seemed like everyone wanted to play their own game, not the, using the other ball. They were looking at, oh my gosh, I hit that shot when that one time when Deshaun Blow and Mickelson were playing together they were so they were like mad at each other for both hitting bad <laughs> shots and whereas the Europeans were like okay you hit a bad shot I'll hit it and there was a there was a couple of times when the Europeans would hit the ball in the water because there's a lot of water on this course and all the Americans so if the other teams hit the ball in the water you really know they're in the water you just need to hit the ball in the green mm-hmm. doesn't be close just get it anywhere and they hit the ball in the water too uh, it was lack of focus lack of focus lack of cooperation and then Saturday morning they're down they were down five, you know, five three going to Saturday morning, and Thomas and Spieth won. But then Garcia and McIlroy, Fano Kepka, and Casey and Hatton beat Johnson and Fowler. I mean, you have a group, Dustin Johnson and Ricky Fowler, and they're losing to Casey and Hatton. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, and then was it Wo- the, the number one and five golfer in the world? Yeah, and then Woods <laughs> and Molinari win four and three over over. I mean, Molinari and Flea would win four and three over over Woods and Reed. It was just a disaster. Then Saturday afternoon, the same thing. It was eight four, and then it was like ten six. But Dustin Johnson was just a disaster yeah. he was missing putt after putt after putt they weren't making any putts at all um and so they go in but they still go into sunday 10 6 they're down 10 6 i'm like look it's now you're just playing match one against another and if you look at the matchups you're like we should win uh these 12 i thought we could win 10 or 12 mm-hmm. like i thought they were better than them but also one last point tiger in his career in these partner matches 9 18 and 1 and Not that's, good. That's the one thing. But in the first part, first match on Sunday, Rory and uh, and Justin Thomas, amazing match, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And finally, Thomas won on the on the 18th hole when Rory hit the ball in the water. And then Kepka and Casey tied. And you're like, okay, well, it's a tie, but but Kepka needed to win that. But then and then then U.S. Simpson, uh, Webb Simpson beat Justin Rose, and Justin Rose number two or one in the world. And so now you're thinking, okay, everything is going. And Finau, Tony Finau played great. He's beating Fleetwood. So now it's ten. And a half to nine and a half. Now you're getting excited. So you're saying, okay, we're down ten and a half to nine and a half. We have Spieth. He got he lost five to four. So I mean, he was destroyed by Olison. Then Tiger plays John Rom. Tiger loses that. So now you have Spieth losing. Then you have Tiger losing. You're like, oh, well, we have Dustin Johnson against Ian Polder. Ian Polder, yeah. who has done won nothing, nothing in two years. And Johnson lost. He was up, but then he lost the 13th, 14th, and 15 holes and just fell out off the face earth. And, of course, Molinari beat Mickelson a million, you know, every hole. And it was over. <laughs> I mean, it was just unbelievable. They, they, you would, America still had a chance. I mean, they ended up losing 17 and a half to 10 and a half. But they even lost on those holes. They, they lost seven to five and a, seven and a half to five and a half on the singles matches. Just a horrendous performance. The big names of America, the Dustin Johnsons, the Ricky Fowlers, just play terrible. Tony Finale is really the, the, the shining spot of this team. You know, mm-hmm. he, he looked good all weekend. I read there's a lot of controversy today about Patrick Reed. Um, he's like the consummate jerk. I don't think a lot of people really like Patrick Reed. But when he plays with Jordan Spieth, they both play really well together. 
Patrick Reed thought he should have been paired with Jordan Spieth. Obviously, Spieth and Justin Rose, good buddies. They went together, didn't play good at all. Um, do you think Patrick Reed should have been paired with Spieth? Well, Spieth didn't want to be paired with him, so I think that's a point where he didn't want to be paired, and they, they work. But as he said, the Europeans sort of, they'll do whatever it takes. Now, then Reed was mad. He only played two of the four matches. Well, Mickelson only played, you know, only played one of the four. So, I mean, Mickelson was, if any person, he's like, I'm Phil Mickelson. Remember the one time Mickelson didn't play all four, and it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. They played three of the four about four years ago. But this point is for Reed to say, I should have been paired. I mean, it's great that he's adding controversy, but I think it does show, well, first of all, Patrick Reed is not going to be a captain's choice ever. Mm-hmm. There was no. Gonna, I mean, he's going to have to earn his way on this team from now on. And yeah. I, I do think it's... Him it just, and Bubba, yeah. It just, I mean, it's just, it's amazing that it, it, there has to be, I think, more thought in these pairings. Because when you're doing the alternate shot and the four ball and you have that, it seems the Europeans would always have somebody would take a risk on a hole. Like you're playing on a hole, the consistent player and the guy who's like taking, trying to... Trying to yeah, trying to hit an eagle all the time. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like they had the right matchups. And America's matchups teams didn't seem like they, they fit. It did no. seeing the same type of players, and when the alternate shot was a total disaster, the balls—they're not play. They don't—they—they they were just not working well as a group. We're routinely really bad at the alternate shot, though, right? I mean, they, these guys doesn't matter who's out there. The Americans can't hit someone. Yeah, else's because they ball. don't practice that. Whereas they play in Europe, they actually play alternate shot when mm-hmm. they're younger and juniors and everything. Yeah, and no, I, of course. I think there is some to Reed's comments though, because you know he's not friends with Spieth. You know, Spieth and and Justin Thomas, you know, being being friends forever. But you know, Europe won this thing three years in a row, and and, and then when they paired Spieth. And Reed together, and uh, Fowler and, and Thomas together. I mean, we finally bring one home. So I think that's where where it is, and where Reed's. I mean, he, he the guy wants to win. I mean, he wears his heart on his sleeve, and he's never going to back down and, and and not say things that that he feels. So I do feel like you know when when you look at that pairing, why not st- stick with what got you there and not having two mm. guys best friends where it's like you know I'd rather have two guys that are almost competing against each other because they're not best friends yeah. and they're buddy buddy where Reed and Spieth aren't going to be talking to each other they're just going for it you mm. know so I, I think there was a little substance to it obviously it doesn't endear him to any fans it doesn't endear him to his to his peers he does but, speak the truth but, I do, but that's the point is he wears his heart on his sleeve he's going to say what he means and if you go back and you kind of look it's it's what was Fear kind of thinking you know the whole the whole even thinking of, of Tiger being paired with Phil you know why didn't that 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 you know come together? So um, I don't know. I, I think there was a little substance to what Reed was saying, and when you look at the results, I mean, he kind kind of had a point. Uh, Seven forty seven. Iron Sports ninety five nine. True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean here as well. Football coming up, uh, but before we move on, one last question, guys. Ira, I mean, everyone but Tony Finau can be blamed for this loss. Who do you think should carry the most blame for the American side? Uh, Jim Furyk, the captain, yeah. because I think it's the pairings that matter, and, and the way you set that up, and there there has to be some more analytical analysis, yeah. and maybe it's the course, but there's America knew what was going into. I mean, they've lost uh, six straight times in Europe, nine times in twelve years, but they had a heavily favored team, and I oh, think yeah. you really have to sit on these pairings, and it, it comes down to, I mean, the uh, Bajorn uh, for they talk about in Europe how they analyze for years about who's going to pair with who and who they're going to put, and they really think about these things. There's got to be some more of that thought. Use analytics, use something, but there, this. This is amazing. That Molinari and Fleetwood pairing was electric. I mean, they're both playing very good golf going into it, but, I mean, those guys, they look dialed in. And they could be walking down the street here in America. Nobody would know who they are. Maybe that's a good thing. Sean, is there anybody you'd put the blame on, Furyk, for you as well? No, yeah, definitely Furyk. I mean, I think it comes down to pairings. I brought up the, you know, the point. I just said it before, I think. You know, when you, when you look at, you know, what it was last year and then coming into this where you were such the heavy favorite and to kind of dismantle the pairings that, that really succeeded. I mean, those two pairings won it for us, you know, in, in 2016. So to kind of break up, you know, those two groups, uh, the two pairings, I, I think it has it has. 
the Fallen Fjork. Uh, let's move on to the NFL, guys. It's been a crazy four weeks so far. I'm um, going to have a good game tonight. Kansas City uh, heading to Denver to take on the Broncos. Ira, you were at this game. You're Steelers. I, I just don't know what's going on with them. Do you have an insight into why these guys are just underachieving every week? Um, well, this. <laughs> well, one thing is, it was interesting. I sat right behind. I sat about in the club section, but behind the bench. So you're watching Ben Antonio Brown, and I like to watch. It's great to watch the interaction. And after the many third down conversions they failed, and one of them, Ben threw the ball 20 yards over Antonio's head. And you expect if, say, Dwayne Wade and LeBron James played on the team and Dwayne throws it and LeBron doesn't get it, they sort of talk over, oh, I thought I was going this way, you went through it this way, mm-hmm. they work it out. They come to the sidelines, Ben talks to assistant coach, looks at his the iPad where they have the pictures of the game, and standing to the, the side, but they're only he's only 20 feet from Antonio, who's sitting on his bench, who's talking to another assistant. Then they go and they sit there for like 10 minutes, and they don't even talk to each other until they have to go back on the field again. Now, how in the world, if this continues to happen, why are they not talking to each other? Now, I'm not saying it's Ben's fault or Antonio's fault, but clearly there is a disconnect between these two players. Antonio's the second most targeted player in the league, and he still has only 26 catches. So he's catching only 50% of the balls that are thrown to him and on five third down conversions Ben forced it into him and he didn't catch it I mean it was it was uh, tied 14-14 they come out of the second half and they needed four yards passed to Brown wasn't even close down 17-14 needing 12 on third down his pass went behind Brown down 20-14 needing five on the 45 he got another poor throw off to Brown and down 23-14 with three minutes left in the game we're down it he threw another tri- into triple covers and was, was intercepted horrible pass. It, it, Bad passes by Ben, but it was hard because Ben's looking at Antonio, and this all stems from back into the Bear. When they, in the Bears game last year, Antonio threw the water cooler over, went mm-hmm. crazy at the ball. It wasn't being targeted, and Antonio's becoming, you know, when he was the only receiver the Steelers had, and he was quadruple coverage, he seemed to be having better schemes <laughs> than now. He has Juju on the other side, and he has other receivers, and he had Bell before, and it just seems like the friction is so great, and you're asking for reasons. I'm just going to run through these reasons why I think the Steelers are struggling. They brought young players in D, because they're to have this old team and these young players have not developed they have not got superstars between no. uh, tj watt they have a lot of first Losing round draft hurt once they lost his ear, they haven't been able to recover. They bring Boston, they bring other linebackers in. They have not been able to recover from that. And then they signed people, and they, they weren't that great signing. You have the A.B., uh, Tony Brown situation. They replaced the offensive coordinator with Victor, who I thought was a great move. I mean, their offense was the second-best offense in the league. However, it doesn't seem like Antonio Brown likes him, and he's arguing and fighting with him. Yeah. So that seems not to be on the same page. And also, Switzer, Ryan Switzer, got the ball eight times. So, uh, Antonio Brown got it seven. That's going to make him more upset. <laughs> and then I blame the Steelers for Bell. I mean, I blame Bell for being for the holdout. It's been a disaster, and we have news about Bell. You can announce, but but for the holdout, but. As bad as the situation is, the Steelers knew that your window is now, and if it's going to mean you're going to have to go and spend the money, then you have to get it done. It might have been the wrong signing. It might have been the wrong wrong long-term planning, but you're not going to have Antonio Brown or Ben Rottenberger or this great offensive line any much longer. So let's win it now, and let's worry about it. Worry that his salary is too much two years from now. (laughs) So that's what, as much as it was, I would have probably given in. And then the other point is maybe Tomlin's locker room is too loose. You you have the Pete Carroll situation. You have everybody Twittering and Facebooking and all these other things. And then you. this leads to one, two, and one. This is a disaster. And this team is going to play Atlanta next week. Atlanta, who's going to come in and is averaging 40, 40 points a points game a itself. Game, yeah. uh, and they're one and three also. And they're one and three. And they're in, they're in desperate shape. Uh, this is a serious situation for the yeah. Steelers. Uh, and we talked about Jim Furyk. He's a huge Steeler fan. So he really, <laughs> he really had a bad yeah, Sunday. Right the Ryder Cup loss and the Steelers loss. Do you think at, do you think at any point, let's say they lose to the Falcons, 
Ben has another bad game. Do you think they turn the ball over to Mason Rudolph? No, I don't. Do I don't. I don't. Unless they're out of the playoffs, will they do that? I think, and I was reading another good article, they are passing so much, but this league has become a passing league. This What's that's frustrating about this is the Steelers were designed for the league that we have now. now they yeah. have the running back that catches a million balls out mm-hmm. of the backfield. They, this is not the league that you hand the ball to the running back 30 times and they run it. No one's doing it's that It's not right Jerome now. Bettis. Uh, right, right. Uh, it's not. It's, oh, you need, you need running backs out of the backfield. You need about five wide receivers that are running around catching. You need a quarterback that can stand there that are taking hit. You don't want a quarterback running around so much no. because that's not going to work either. You have everything set up for the Steelers and they're one, two, and one. Sean, what about you? Any takeaways from the Steelers and why these guys just every week seem to just not yeah, be on the same yeah. page? I mean, it, it's like the one... I feel like Mike Tomlin is like Teflon Don. It's it's anytime anybody else. I mean, being a Cowboy fan, right? Jason Garrett is to blame for <laughs> everything. Every he doesn't have control of his players. Des Bryant and this. We have you know weed weed problems and everything is on the head coach, right? Yet when it comes to the Steelers, it's never Mike Tomlin's fault. And we're sitting there, we're trying to put the finger on. Well, what ex- what exactly is it? Ben's in decline. Of course, Ben's in decline. Ben's in his late you know mid to late thirties at this point. You know you're losing. Le'Veon Bell, I, you know, uh, Pouncey, is he still there? Yes. Or did, okay, I did, Pouncey from the Dolphins is, is the one that left. But mm-hmm. you lose Shazier, who was your leader on the defense. Um, you know, you haven't, you know, struck gold with that secondary or the, you know, Artie Burns of the world. And Joe Hayden's had his moments, but he's not the same guy. You know, but at what point does the locker room get under control? I mean, you've had the offensive lineman coming out against Bell, all the problems that Bell's created. You know, Antonio Brown throwing tantrums on the sideline, Facebook living in the locker room. I mean, it's like... <laughs> one thing after another and somehow no one talks about and puts the blame on Mike Tomlin it's like the quarterback gets the blame or the head coach gets the blame and I feel like it's never those two guys it's it's always well why, why can't we figure it out you know because they have been so successful for, for so long and they are that staple franchise but I know they're not going to fire Mike Tomlin, but at what point does the media kind of turn their attention and, and look at this guy and say, hey, at what point are you going to you know, corral this? I, I, I just feel like it's more on Tomlin than anybody right now. Let's talk about arguably the biggest surprise in all of football. The Chicago Bears. Uh, If anybody predicted the Bears would be in first place a quarter of the way into the season, (laughs) they're obviously lying to you. Um, And they're not just Bears. You know, like, you've got teams like the Tennessee Titans, which are just always the ugliest wins ever. Ever. They're they're plus two points. They've only scored two more points than they've allowed. The Bears, it's not the case. They're plus 46. They're beating teams handily. Mitch Trubisky uh, probably had the best fantasy day of any player uh, all year yesterday with uh, six touchdowns. Ira, what do you think? Is this a playoff team in Chicago? We haven't said that in years. It's the same model that the Rams have. It's you get a young quarterback and you put a coach that can work with him. And just like Sean McVay yeah. does with Jared Goff. Mm-hmm. And it seems like Treblitzky is really fitting in with Matt Nagy. And I think it's working out in terms of what they're having. And then you add this defense in there. I don't think they're there yet. But that uh, they, they, they crush. They, <laughs> they're they cr- close. I mean, they crush the Bucks And the Bucks start to, and that scares me more for the Steelers because the Steelers had trouble beating yeah. Tampa Bay. And then Tampa Bay loses 48 to 10. So again, this is that comes back to the Steelers, but it was a it, this this weekend was a weird weekend. You had some really close games and some games that were just complete. F- Patriots game was over in five minutes in. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Sean, what about you? I mean, it, when you start to look at it, Detroit's Detroit. We know what we're getting yeah. out of them. Minnesota's taking a step back. I mean, it, it's pretty obvious at this point. The, the defense, defense isn't is not as good. the same. Yeah, yeah, the defense is not the same as it was. Green Bay is going to be there at the end, but the Bears are three and zero. They look good. You think that you have them in the playoffs? I think you kind of have to, and I think it's because 
Trubisky's only going to get better over the course. He of looked this like an NFL year. quarterback yesterday, yeah. and, and you know, and it helps. I mean, Tampa Bay's defense is is horrendous, so yeah. that helps. But that's the confidence boost that you you know you need. Anytime you hang forty eight points on anybody, I mean that that's a good feeling, and your quarterback goes for six touchdowns. So you know, to see the biggest difference I saw in the offense was the involvement of Tariq Cohen. I mean, thirteen carries, fifty three yards. He had seven catches for a buck twenty one. I mean, he, he looked unbelievable, and that's been the missing piece where he just didn't get a lot of touches early on. So they kind of unleashed him and unveiled him back to the NFL. I mean, he, he came on the scene, he exploded last year, they went away from him. And uh, But this defense, I mean, Khalil Mack is an absolute monster. I mean, yeah. he has changed that team from the pressure that they could get in. It eases and it makes the job of the of, of the secondary that much easier. I mean, it's like if a quarterback's throwing off his back foot and just throwing, you know, ducks out there because Khalil Mack's all over him. I mean, this defense has a chance to be special. And if you think about it, this guy missed the entire offseason. He's been playing football for 20 days and he's got a, a sack and I think a forced fumble in every game this yeah. year. I mean, he's it's unbelievable. Chalk it up, defensive player of the year. It's already done. Cleo Mack. Uh, so he's absolutely changed his team. So, I mean, what what's scary for the NFC North is how young this team is as well. I mean, all the playmakers on offense are young. The offensive line is fairly young. The defense is young. I mean, Nagy's done a fantastic job just in a one-year turnaround. So I, I think the Bears are a playoff team. Uh, Ira, we mentioned the Bucks before. Sure. They, you know, Ryan Fitzmagic, whatever, you know, people want to call him, <laughs> has two of the best games. He had the only quarterback ever to open up with three straight 400-yard games to open a season. Um, he throws an interception in the second quarter. Gets pulled for, for Jameis Winston. It is Winston's team, but do you think the Bucks were smart to go back to Jameis? He threw a pick on his first pass, too. <laughs> so, I mean, do you agree with the Bucks putting Winston back in after Fitz gets off to a slow start? Well, the, Dick Carter is going to lose his job if they don't turn around this year, so yeah. I think he has to do yeah. it. It seems like they're going to go with Winston, and, and it's I, – I, I look – Ryan Fitzpatrick definitely had the team going and, and the players like him and the wide receivers, Deshaun Jackson, were in favor of him. But they have so much invested in Winston and Carter's job is on the line and they have to turn this around. Uh, I think he feels like he has to win with Winston. If, if they go, His feeling is like if I go 8-8 eight and eight with Winston, I could say, look, I made some success. If they go 8-8 eight eight with Fitzpatrick, then it's a disaster. Very, very good point there. Um, Sean, what about you? Would you have uh, rolled Winston back in? Yeah, I think I think you have to because the sample size of what Brian Fitzpatrick is over the course of his career it, it, it just it's come out in the past two weeks, you know. So he started super hot, and then even that, even even the third game, what was it? I think it was against it was the Steelers, right? I mean, he didn't play a great game. I think he had like three interceptions. So mm-hmm. it's not like he played a great game. He threw it for a ton of yards, but it wasn't like he particularly played that well. And then he was so awful against the Chicago Bears. Um, and, and, and they were getting blown out so bad that I think it was just get them out. I'm surprised they made the call now while they're coming into their bye week saying they're going back to Jameis Winston because why would you then give the advantage to the Atlanta Falcons when you come out of your bye week to know what quarterback they're playing? I mean, the, the games of Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jameis Winston are two different things. It's, it's almost like the playbook is, is, is two different uh, uh, playbooks. So I don't know why you would tip your advantage there. And you know what I mean? I, I, I think the coach at this point, I mean, he even said, fire everybody, fire me. I wouldn't be surprised if they fired him over the bye week. I mean, he's been so bad, and he was supposed to be the quarterback whisperer to get Jameis Winston and get him to the next level. And I feel like since he's become head coach, Jameis Winston's only regressed. So um, not surprised they went to him. He's the first-round pick. They got to go on. They're going to pay him. He's, he's making a ton of money. So not that big of a shock. Just a surprise they made that call this early 
instead of waiting until before game. Before we move on, that's what I would have done. Did yeah. you do it before the it doesn't game? Make don't, sense. Don't, yeah, don't doesn't let him make throw sense. one pick and, and pull it. Fire him for that. <laughs> um, before we get into Casey and Denver tonight, enough picks on that. I got to tell you, this Eagles team, I don't know if it's uh, a Super Bowl hangover or whatever you want to call it, they don't look like the same team. And, and granted, Carson Wentz was, uh, you know, only played a game and a half or, you know, two games now. But the defense isn't there either. Um, Ira, what do you think? This team just doesn't have the same groove to me as they did last year. Well, when Marcus Mariota, who supposedly couldn't even, we talked to a couple weeks ago, is trouble even throwing the ball at all, there's a 344 yards against him. Yeah. And you saw the Eagles defense in the Super Bowl, and it was terrible. And look, I, we, we've, met, we've been on this path the whole thing i think the uh, nfc east uh, you're, you're talking about every team could finish eight and eight mm-hmm. and well not the, seven and nine. not the giants not well, the giants <laughs> still. but 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 the eagles i mean but the eagle fans but the titans losing that game 26 23 and they have Wentz back there's no excuses we don't it's not like we have Foles. what went back tennessee's not a scary team on offense either. and they're also getting they're not scary on offense no. and the, inj- the eagles are getting more and more injuries you know you follow these injuries you hear like uh, like the dolphins now have their now their second uh, offensive lineman went down with injury so now they're down two starting offensive linemen it's like each week another injury happens to a team and if you don't replace those it's just it's it's a small thing it's small it's major every single one but that could be another now the Dolphins are only playing with 60% of their starting offensive linemen and Laramie Tunsil looks like Eric Flowers 2.0 there at left tackle move the guy back to guard at least he looked okay there Sean uh, before we get to tonight's game you being an NFC East fan like me you got to be kind of happy that the Eagles aren't just rolling people over like yeah and and I think I think their defense overachieved they had a ton of turnovers last year and it was caused up front they're not getting the same uh, uh, pressure. I mean, there was there was talk before the game, Fletcher Cox might not play. You know, they, they didn't address the linebacker position. I think their corners are overrated, but they benefited from a strong pass rush. The issue is, with this team, it's, I'm not even going to go to defense. Their offensive line was the best offensive line in the league last year. I mean, it, it really was, and that's even without uh, Peters, losing Peters in the beginning of the year. But I don't know what's happened to that offensive line. If you watch that game, especially late in the game, there was one drive, uh, I think they were holding the 17 to it was a 17 10 I think they were leading and Wentz got hit on four straight plays and I don't mean got hit I mean he got blown up and uh they, they they were forced upon I think Tennessee came down and tied the game but it that's been the difference I mean their offensive line I mean these guys are getting destroyed I mean you could go back and you could look at every single game and Foles was under pressure the first two games and we're saying oh Foles is falling back down to earth I know it was going to take a little bit of time for Wentz to come in but you know and, and recapture that group but that offensive line is not protecting those guys at all and it was huge last year and they were running all over everybody yeah, yeah they had time to throw absolutely this is iron sports it's 802 shocker we're a little bit over guys um real quick i uh, casey in denver tonight casey's given three and a half who do you like before i go to my pick now they're now they're totally reporting that bell's coming back game seven yeah, really yeah, yeah seven. so i think that, that well, for week eight because week seven's the buy so he's gonna eight. come in yeah you know, for and this is a tonight's a prize that's you know a major game changer considering the Steelers rush for 19 yards uh, against the Ravens. And <laughs> what also, does this even mean? Why not just come back next week? I, like, I, I, I don't get. He's in Miami. He's right down here. We could go ask him. He's, 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 <laughs> but you know, the one stat that I before the Steelers tonight's a primetime game. Ben was. 21 and 3 in primetime home games. The Steelers had won nine straight Sunday night games going into last night and uh and losing that game was I mean that's that's tough. And they beat the Ravens twice on Sunday night in a mm-hmm. row. Uh, ben had uh but I think this I think tonight I think this is the coming out party for Kansas City. I think this is the time to show this great offense, and and it'll be an exciting game, but I just think they have more. I'm excited to see it. I think this is Kansas City's going to win, and I think they'll probably win by two touchdowns. Really? Denver's got a tough defense, and they're playing at mile high. I think it'll be close. What do you like here, Sean? 
Honestly, I, I, I picked the Broncos in my pick them only because I think at some point Mahomes has to come back down to earth. Um, I, I think Denver's defense, especially with that secondary and the players they have, they match up well from that offense to this defense. What what they can do is cover very well. Um, and and I just think playing in Denver is extremely difficult. And Mahomes has yet to kind of experience that, you know. So he's been on the bench in Denver, but he hasn't played in that, you know, thin air and everything that goes into that. So so I think it'll be a, a tight game. I just I think Denver's defense is what wins this game tonight. Um, real quick, guys, let's just go through these in one second. Colorado versus the Chicago Cubs is going to be your first play-in game. 8 o'clock Tuesday night, Antonio Senzatella versus John Lester. Who do you guys like? Um, I like the I like the Cubs. I think they, they're going to pull that out, even though this was a tough loss for them. But uh, the Cubs have not. You know, they were up by five games starting in September. And the Brewers Lula have Lula. won eight in a row. And the, Brew- and the Brewers are hot. And the Brewers today showed. I think it was justifiable they won. You know, like they're the better team, and they showed it. They've been playing better. And I think it would have been unfair in a one game for them to lose. But I do like the Cubs to win against Colorado. Um, Sean, what about you? Same. Yeah, Cubs all the way. Uh, Oakland versus our New York Yankees on Wednesday at 8 o'clock. Uh, pitchers haven't been determined yet, but we can assume at least who the Yankees are going to throw. Probably going to be Severino. Sean, who do you like, Oakland and uh, our Yankees? Really? Do you really have to ask that question? I'm going to go with the Yankees. <laughs> Ira, what about you? Oakland's good. <laughs> Oakland is good. This is my this is my analysis of this. Uh, I think Melvin, the manager, I, what's happened is that Oakland has played playoff baseball for two months. It seems like every game they are running out 5,000 relievers. They're yeah. pinch hitting. They're an American League team playing National League ball 20 years ago. They've been <laughs> playing this. You know, Aaron, I mean, in terms of the Yankees, this is – Uncharted. They just unless they're going to go and win fifteen nothing because they're going to hit a million home runs. I think when once this game gets difficult, I think you're going to see some managerial mistakes. Yeah, you make one managerial mistake in a game like this, and you're out of the playoffs. And the pressure's on Boone. Yeah, you know? I yeah. like Melvin. I like Melvin over Boone. I think it was the report was the Cashman went after you know tried to get him the first to be the manager really? before he hired Boone. Uh, Boone has got this. I mean, Boone has really been on managed on autopilot this year. He's yeah. sort of like we're hitting. I could imagine the Yankees. We have relievers. <laughs> we have the seventh. We have chat. We have all our relievers set up. But I think the game. You know, there comes a point where you want Chapman now to pitch two in it. You know, there's always things you might want to do, and you try to get out, and then suddenly starters are coming in, and I just don't think Boone is ready for this. And I think the A's, who have been playing this type of game for two months, I just think the A's win. I'm very scared as a Yankee fan. Yeah, it's just not a team I want to play. Um, but we'll see. It's all coming down to Wednesday night. Also, Wednesday night, NHL action is back. So excited for hockey. And Gary Bettman always doing a great job of lining things up with MLB playoffs for his opening night. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I hate that guy. Um, Saturday night, Ira Conor McGregor back in the Optagon versus Khabib Nurmagomedov. Who do you like? I think Khabib should win. He's thirty two and zero. He's thirty two and zero, and and the only thing McGregor has McGregor's fought in these six of the, his matches have been in the prime time cards named after him. As Khabib doesn't have that, but if you look at who's the hungrier fighter, I think if McGregor wins this, uh, wow. I yeah. mean, that just wow. it shows. That, I'll say wow because I think he's an underdog. Is he hasn't been fighting regularly? The boxing yeah. match doesn't count. I mean, to come back without even a tune up yeah. to go against the number one guy in pound MMA. for pound right now. Yeah, so it's just like you would expect him to go do something else. I, I, it's look, insane. It's gonna be exciting. I'm gonna it's watch insane. it. I think it's gonna be exciting. It's gonna be a nice end of Saturday, and then yeah. go into it's. It's. But this is like the last big event of the year for boxing and for and for uh, MMA because mm-hmm. McGregor's gonna yeah. fight to the end. So, Sean, what about you? Khabib wrestles bears. Okay, like I've said every time anybody brings up Khabib, I'm like, have you seen him wrestle a bear yet? I mean, I think he's gonna destroy McGregor. But this is what it is. It's this is the fight that McGregor somehow always wins. You know, it's like he has no shot, and then it's. Uh, 
out of nowhere it comes out and he's just the toughest guy when it comes to the UFC in my opinion and what I think will actually happen I think Khabib wins the first one then they schedule the second fight and I think McGregor will win that one but I think Khabib right now with everything that's gone on from the incident of you know McGregor throwing the stuff and the, it just, just everything that's gone down I think Khabib has that chip on his shoulder and he's going to show the world and even though he's the best pound for pound fighter in my opinion in the world right now not a lot of people know who he is everybody knows who Kyler is idea. and then they're going to want to find out who is this guy Khabib well, they're having a press conference on, I think it's Thursday. Yeah. They're supposedly going to be, they have fans in, they're going to have like 20,000 fans. It's going to be insane. It's going to be this crazy yeah. press conference, and you know that something crazy is going to happen. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. These press conferences, are, it's like WWF now. It, right. It's absolutely ridiculous. We're out of time on Iron Sports. I want to thank Neil Rudell, managing editor of the Altoona Mirror, for stopping by. On behalf of Sean McGregor, Iron Mike Balsamo. Let's catch up next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports. Oh,